the church say amen. Rock of ages. Want to take this opportunity to welcome our KKBV listeners, uh, those regular listeners, and those perhaps you have been joining us for the very first time here at the Abundant Life Seventh day Adventist Church, located at 1720 North J Street, corner of Doolittle and J. And also, I want to welcome my online friends at www.abundantlifelv.org. It's a thrill to have you. And today is a, a, a rather special because our youth are in action. And so far, they have taken us to higher heights. Uh, they have been blessing us in our worship service here. And we are extremely thrilled to be having them. We know that we don't have to worry about the future of our church. As long as we have young people as what you see here today. And we are extremely happy about that. We hope that those who are joining us online or on the radio, that you may come out and join us very soon here in our congregation. For those who are coming to Abundant Life for the very first time, I want to welcome you and let you know that you are in the best church in the Nevada, Utah Conference. <laughs> I say that because I wanted a conference official to hear that. We have today as our speaker, he is really no stranger to us here at Abundant Life. He is our very own youth director, uh, Christian ministries, uh, uh, all sorts of ministries leader, uh, Pastor David Solomon Hall, who has been now a year ordained. Amen. Amen. And we are so excited to have him. Look, the devil tried to take him away from us. And uh, the devil is truly a liar. Because the Lord says, it's when I say. And so he's here with a more powerful message to share. And you know you always bring it. Amen? But I know he has much more and so much more to tell us about what Jesus has done for him and his family. Now, you may have noticed his name, this name in the bulletin, David Solomon Hall Jr. He is not here. We have the senior with us today. David Solomon Hall Jr. is, is a son. Can you say amen? amen? Yes, and you'll hear something about him as well. He's very proud of his son. I'm impressed by him and his relationship with his son. But he has a very special lady in his life. They are celebrating many years of togetherness. And the very first time I heard him refer to her, he called her precious. Precious. And I said to myself, wow, no matter how tense their conversation may become, it's always precious. Whether it's excitement, it's precious. And today he has his precious with him. And Sister Connie Hall, would you please stand? Yes, amen. Precious. 
And, and, and he has a sentence that he'll share. I want him to tell you more about his precious. Nonetheless, we're very uh, thrilled and blessed to have Pastor David Solomon Hall Sr. to bring us the message today at this, our youth day. We ask that you may pray for him that the Lord may anoint him to bring us the message for this time that we need most. Before we hear from him, we will be doubly blessed by our youth choir to prepare our hearts with a sacred selection. Then right after, we will hear from our pastor, our speaker, David Solomon Hall Sr., hear ye him.
to say amen one more time. Truly, God is worthy of the praise. When you think of all that God has done for you, in the past seven days even, when you look at where he has brought you from, that song has even more meaning to you. And you must acknowledge that our Lord and our God, you see, there's some folk that didn't wake up this morning. There's some people that aren't in their right mind. There are some folk that are in a worse situation than we are in. But God in his mercy saw fit to allow us to come together in such a setting and just contemplate him and his goodness and his mercy towards us. And for that we say, God, you are worthy of our praise. It is indeed a privilege to be here with you today. This is a day I've looked forward to for a long time, and I am very excited about being here and celebrating Youth Sabbath with you. I bring you greetings from the Nevada Utah Conference Office and all of the 9,000. My wife just told me something. Yeah, say it again. Okay. My wife said, could you turn up the microphone for me just a little bit, uh, please? She, she recognizes I have this issue with my voice. Thank you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but soon the issue will be gone, and hopefully my voice will be back. But it's, it's, it's good to be here and celebrate with you. I love youth Sabbaths and as we as I am the youth director for the conference and I travel around I get to see many youth Sabbaths and sometimes on youth Sabbaths the audience looks ugly I know I probably shouldn't have said that but I took some medicine this morning some of my morphine so no telling what I might just say but by that, I mean they sit in the audience and they act like they don't want the young people to come up. But I came here, I looked in the audience and there was an air of expectation with each young person that walked up. It was almost as if you were encouraging them. You wanted them to be here. And isn't that the kind of safe environment? If I were a younger person, I would want, I wouldn't be afraid of making any kind of mistake because I know I have a crowd of people that got my back and that would make me want to stay in a place like this. So I praise God for you and what you are doing in this place for your young people. I want to acknowledge our Hispanic brothers and sisters. This Monday uh, begins National Hispanic Heritage Month uh, from October. It ends. My wife is on point today. I should just hand you the notes and you come and take it on, you know. Praise God, it's September 15th, October 15th. I wrote the wrong thing down. Thank you, W-I-F-E. 
So it ends it, but praise God for a month to celebrate the culture. As I just want to give a few commercials for the departments that I serve and then say something personal, and then I want to preach if that's all right. On November the 11th at the New Life Church, the Community Service Department of the conference in combination with the Pacific Union Community Service will be holding disaster uh, preparedness training. It'll begin at nine o'clock. You should have something in your bulletins next week, but it's Sunday, November 11. On April 6 through 8, there will be Pathfinder and Adventurer Leadership Training for the Nevada Utah Conference. It will take place in a location to be determined. We have not determined that location yet. It'll either be in Reno or Las Vegas. We're working out those details, but I will make sure you know. April 23 through 26 is the West Coast Youth Congress. It will take place in Ontario, California. What else? Praise the Lord. June 13 through 16 is the Adventurer and Pathfinder Camp Reap. You will have more information about that, but that will take place in Northern Nevada at a location to be determined as we are still working through those details. And finally, October 24 through 26, the Nevada Utah Conference will hold a combined youth rally. Uh, in the past, in my five years as being youth director, we have had a Las Vegas, one in uh, Salt Lake or Provo, and then one in Reno. We want to bring all of our young people together and our special guests for this will be the Youth Director for the World, the General Conference Youth Director, Elder Gilbert Kangi, will be our speaker. And that will take place right here in Las Vegas, October 24 through 26. And we praise God for that. I want to acknowledge my wife, who you saw was such a great help to me in the uh, genesis of this diatribe, of the 460 miles that we drove, and we, we, we drove all night, we pulled up at 4.08 a.m. at the hotel, 420 of the 460 miles were driven by Connie. 40 of the 460, by the grace of God, amen, for those 40 miles that I drove. And they were the first 40. And then I pulled over and said I could go no further. I, I didn't try to be the man. Ego put it aside. Praise God for that. I said, just take it for a little while. She said, for a little while? Yes, a little while. Who knew that that meant until we get where we're going? But praise the Lord for her driving ability. And she said, I was snoring so loud in that car. The windows were shaking, but praise God for the ability to snore. That just showed that I had full confidence in you. <laughs> 
That should make you feel real good that I, I gave you the privilege of driving all of those hours. <laughs> and you are welcome anytime. And, and if you want to do it on the way back, praise the Lord. Who am I to stand in your way? I will gladly sleep again tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Finally, as, as Pastor Russell alluded to, and congratulations, Pastor and Rosa, for the one-year anniversary of the birth of your son. And I praise God for you and your ministry. The past year has not been... <laughs> not been the easiest. New baby, new responsibilities, old responsibilities. Life has a way of throwing curveballs at you sometime, but, but you hit this one out of the park, man. And I'm, it's been a privilege watching you through all of this. Praise the Lord for your ministry and Rosa, how you've managed with baby to support, I praise God for you and your ministry as well. Last year, I, well, four years ago, I was diagnosed with an incurable disease. And while they said that I had several years to, uh, until the inevitable happened, Last year, as you know, I began to deteriorate rapidly. And last year was probably one of the most scariest times of my life. We continued doing the work of the conference and doing what God called us to do because I believe, I believe it's Psalm 150 verse 6 that says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So I figured I still had some. I'm going to go down fighting if I had to go. But then the body got weaker and weaker. And it was here. I was doing a week of prayer here last year. When on a Tuesday morning, Stanford University called me. I was in line for a heart transplant during that time. And they called that Tuesday and said that they would be able, or the surgeons at uh, Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, in looking at the images of my heart, felt that they could save my heart without removing it. They could just remove all of the damaged parts we can talk afterward, I'll explain. Some, there was some bad stuff in there. They said we can cut it out. And there was a significant risk to them cutting this out, as well as some significant costs. And my initial reaction was, we would wait until July to give more time for some other insurance to kick in. And I said, I'm gonna talk to Jesus He'll let me live that long and all of that. 
but I got worse and worse and my wife God bless her when they said they wanted to do it December 22nd and kind of insisted she persisted and before I knew it people were holding a fundraiser for me selling t-shirts and I thought that was some of the coolest stuff because of the contributions of many people and those that are in this congregation today, because your young people bought shirts, because you donated to that fund, some 10 months ago, I had an operation while they nicked something in my throat, and my voice is nowhere near what it used to be, and while I no longer have the ability to turn my head from side to side, and I have exceptional pain down the center of my chest, even now, the operation that took my heart from about 25% to 80%. And I praise God for that. I remember, and I'm about to preach, Connie. I remember they got that big needle and they said, count to 10. Now, you know, they always say that, and I always get to like two. I was determined to get to three this time. I had it in my mind. I even asked Jesus, help me get to three, because I would feel better. All I remember was this, and he went over to me, and I was ready. I don't even remember the un for the one. And I woke up one. Oh, man! <laughs> Who knew that 17 and a half hours went by? By the grace of God, I survived. I lost 43 pounds. I didn't eat for a few months. I couldn't go to church. I couldn't do much of anything. But I was alive. And you don't appreciate stuff, I discovered, until it's been taken away from you. Things that you take for granted. And when the Lord gives it back to you, if he chooses to give it back to you, you develop a whole new appreciation for things. So when I say it is good to be here with you, in my mind, I'm going back, Connie, to all those weeks when I was just sitting in the bed and I couldn't see anybody. I couldn't even talk loud enough to preach, let alone think about greeting people anything because I didn't have the strength to do anything. because of your prayers, because
because of your contribution. We've been able to do quite a few things despite the budget crunch in the conference. We've been able to do quite a few things this year. And on a personal note, I've been able to preach for four camp meetings this year. I had never done more than two in a year. I did four full-fledged camp meetings. I just got back two weeks ago from Brisbane, Australia, spending two weeks preaching the gospel there. And we had a hundred and some people make a decision for Jesus Christ. So I just want to say, before we get into this deal today, I just want to say thank you. This is the first time that I've been here since the operation. And I remember, I, I know I got to preach, but I'm going to say this too. I preached in this church on October 7th, 2011, okay? And I remember I got stuck in traffic. I got here real late. I know what happened. Y'all know what happened. And I had to use the bathroom, and I was in that traffic, so I was just mad, stuck, and, you know, messed up. But I remember I was standing in, because I kind of walk a little bit when I'm preaching, and, and, and I, I, I remember I was standing back by that exit sign, and I was preaching back there. And I, I was preaching the sermon, Don't Hang Up Your Heart. And I remember telling the devil in the sermon and encouraging you, encouraging you to tell him. But in my head, I was telling him when I come through the other side, I'm not going to hang my harp in the willow tree. I'm not going to let my praise be silent. I remember that I ran, even in my messed up heart having self, I ran from the back of that church to my figurative tree, grabbed my instrument of praise back, said, give me my heart back. I'm going to praise the Lord no matter what happens. And before they put me to sleep, Connie, in my mind, I went back to October the 7th. And I remember, I remember when I ran up and I did that and I said, I'm going to do it again one day. Devil, Mr. Devil, <laughs> I'm going to do it again one day. And look at this. <laughs> I get a little excited. I'm trying my best. I'm going to try. But I feel like preaching this morning. If you have your Bibles, can we look at the book of Ruth one more time? Ruth, the first chapter, verses 19 through 21. chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. As we were riding in the car early this morning, about 3 o'clock, we were listening to John P. Key, and my wife cut him off in my favorite song. I didn't like that. I was actually awake for a moment, and I heard my song. I was yeah, and she cut it off. I was like, what are you doing? 
She said, the Lord told me something. I said, okay, we can tell you to cut the, ra cut the CD back on too, you know. That's what I thought. I didn't say it out loud, you know, because she had driven a couple hundred miles, so I was polite. <laughs> she said, this is what you need to preach on tomorrow. I said, I already got something to preach on tomorrow. She said, no, don't preach that. Preach from the book of Ruth. This is what you do. So here we go. Because the Lord told her to do that, and I'm going to listen to her like I always do. Amen. Starting with verse 19, so the two of them continued, reading from the NLT, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really? Naomi, the women asked, verse 20, don't call me Naomi. She responded, instead, call me Myra, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy unto me? I want you to pray. We're going to talk for just a couple of minutes. Don't change your name too soon. Let's pray. And now, God, our Father, we've already worshipped you today. In your word, in 3 John 1, 4, it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And Lord, on this youth Sabbath, you have seen your children, your young people leading out in every aspect of this service. And I know, Jesus, that it brought a smile to your face, for you said, I have no greater joy. Now, Lord, we, we, we need a word from you. We know that you inhabit the praise of your, your people, and we have praised you through song. But now we need a word from you. Don't let anything in me hold it back. Forgive me of my sins. I just, I just want to hear you, Jesus talk to us in a way like we've never heard before. And after all is said and all is done, let us be able to say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord today. We commit our plans in these moments to you in Jesus' name. I've discovered why people would want to change their name. 
on January 23rd, 1979, at the age of eight, my name was changed from what it was to what it currently is. I am one of the, the, the few people on the planet that actually named themselves. Hallelujah. My mother gave me a name, and I love the name that she gave me, but when my, and you've heard me say this before, that my great-grandmother was the one who raised me, the state of New Jersey said that in order for me to live with her, she would have to legally adopt me. And when the legal adoption was completed on January 23rd, 1979, I was eight years old, when that took place, there would, they, they, they asked the question, what do you want your name to be? My mother named me David. I liked the name David. Something about the little guy beating up on the big guy. And I just, I just felt that, that, I felt that, you know, that would be me in Jesus' name. I would do that, but I always thought I would grow into a big guy. Little did I know, at age 10, I would be five foot seven, and at age 42, I'm five foot seven. <laughs> so I will always be the little guy, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I had no middle name. But because I loved reading the Bible and I loved, I, I loved different, I, there were parts of Solomon that I didn't know at age eight. That 1,000 thing, no clue about that. The 1,000 wives that he had, or the 700 wives, 300 girlfriends, I didn't know that. I just knew the part where he could have anything that he wanted, and he chose wisdom. And I knew at age eight that would be something that I would want, because I liked how they taught it in Sabbath school, and so I chose Solomon to be my middle name. And Hall came from Lillian Hall. Since she did me a great favor, I asked her to do that because I wanted to stay in New Jersey and not move with my mother. Nothing against mom. Mom was 14 when she had me. I'll give you the background. She went away to Oakwood. We had this little gap of not being together. I had started school. I wanted to stay. That's the story. Nothing bad. That's just the story. But I wanted Lillian Hall's last name because she did me a great favor. And the last words that she said to me on June 1st, 1996, or shortly before, because she wasn't talking that day, she was kind of comatose. But the last thing she said to me was, don't ever forget how you got your name. And don't ever forget your name. And when I was young, I wrote on all of my papers, David Solomon Hall. And if you were to call, the other thing that Lillian Hall said was, don't let your son forget either. And if you were to call his cell phone, you would hear, 
you have reached David Solomon Hall Jr. Please leave, I just dial it just so I can hear that. I can't believe there's more than one of me. I just, you know, amen. <laughs> Thank you, Connie, that was, <laughs> that was all right, amen. There are reasons, both good and bad, why people may change their name. Tyler Perry was named after his father, but his father was a violent man, an abusive man, and so he changed his name to Tyler Perry because he did not want his dad's name. Sometimes when one is no longer married, they go back to their maiden name. Sometimes if you're an actor and you have a regular type name, you want a fanciful name. Uh, 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 uh. Marilyn Monroe was Norma Jean, but she wanted something that just flowed, and they felt that if the first letter matched the, uh, the M and the M, if the letters matched, that was really cool back then. And so she said, well, Marilyn Monroe. Sometimes people choose names to sound less ethnic because they feel it'll help them get a better job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people change their name because they want a fresh start for many reasons. <laughs> but they want a fresh start from a bad past. There are many reasons why people change their names, but in the book of Ruth, the first chapter, verse 20, we find that Naomi had taken it upon herself to change her name. Back in Bible days, what you were named was like a prophecy. You could predict your child's future by what you would name them. The name Solomon means peaceful, and in his reign, they had no wars. The name Jacob meant thief, deceiver. Now, why would you name your child that? I have no idea. But they named him thief, and what did he do but steal the birthright of his brother? What you named your children had prophetic import. So that's why uh, uh, whenever Jesus was about to do something or God was about to do something for someone, he would say, you are no longer Simon, but you are now Peter. You are no longer Abram, which means father of many, but you are Abraham, which means father of many nations. So whenever something big was about to happen, the name would change, but Naomi took it upon herself to change her name. Naomi meant pleasant one, full of happiness. But when all of the people came to meet her, saying, hey, Naomi, she said, no, no, uh-uh-uh. I am no longer Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter or sad. What 
would make somebody change their name to that. Let's take a quick look at her story. Naomi was married to Elimelech. They lived in Bethlehem. They had two sons, Malan and Kilian. Life was good for the four of them until a famine hit the land. The famine went on for years and it was so bad that Elimelech felt it best for his family if we would move to another country where they had food. Suddenly, this God-fearing family find themselves in Moab. And after they settled there, in this place where they worshipped idols, wondering why in the world would God have sent us to a place like this, the sons married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. First, a famine struck. They had to leave uh, uh, their land of comfort and familiarity. Then they're living amongst the heathen. And to make matters worse, their children, their sons, marry heathen women. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, they're there in Moab. Heathen women, famine, can't go home. Elimelech, boom drops dead. Naomi has no more husband, and she is a stranger in a strange land. At least her boys got somebody to comfort them, but she has nobody. And just when it couldn't get any worse than that, Malan and Kilion drop dead too. In one false swoop, she loses her country. She loses her husband. And she loses her children. And she's stuck with these daughters and Life stunk for her. How many of you, wait, 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 how many of us can feel Naomi's pain? Have you ever felt <laughs> one blow after the other, after the other, after the other, and you think, if one more thing happens to me, and just when you uh, struggling to get back up, bam, something else hits you again. Just when you think, I can't take it anymore. God, how long will this last? And you think, whoo, you think you about to round the corner. When Satan show up again with another roadblock and God seemingly, emphasis on seemingly, gets out of the way and says, go right ahead, Mr. Lucifer. Hit him with your best shot. And you wonder, where 
are you? If I get one more rejection letter, you know I'm trying to get a good job, Lord, so I can take care of my family. And the only ones that are open want me to work on the Sabbath. But I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying, but my unemployment going to run out. And I got to make a decision. And everybody that I apply for say no. If I get rejected one more time, or if you're in school and you continue to try to do the right thing, you don't want to, say it this way, do the wrong thing with him. But because you don't do the wrong thing with him, you're isolated more and more and more and more because you don't fit into the culture of what is. And you wonder, God, when can I find a friend, somebody that'll just uh, like me for me? And just when it look like somebody's coming along, they just setting you up like those movies. So they can get to know you and laugh at you and make fun. You thought you were going to be our friend for real? Ah! And you say, God, how long must I deal with this? Then you have felt Naomi's pain. Fill in the blank with your own scenario. Fill in the blank with your own situation. And you understand how Naomi felt. Bible says that Naomi hears that her land, her home country now has food. The famine is over. And she says, I'm going home. After 10 years away, after a decade, pause right here. What were you doing 10 years ago? Do you remember? I don't. <laughs> what was that? 2002. We were 32, Connie. I remember that. We were married for nine years. We married 19 now. Yeah, I remember that too, baby. <laughs> Next year's 20. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing something special for you because I'm not going to forget because you won't let me. Amen. <laughs> but what, <laughs> it's true too. <laughs> what were you doing 10 years ago? Could you imagine being taken away from your home for 10 years? Everything familiar? When she goes home, She's worn out, beaten down. She's like Popeye the Sailor Man. I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And she got these two women that have been following her, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah, whose name means ornamented richly with hair. She had a lot of hair. Maybe she had a lot of hair as a baby, so they named her a lot of hair. I don't know. 
That was her prediction. <laughs> but she was known for how beautiful her hair was. Out of obligation, she had to stay with her mother-in-law. But I'm thinking she a young woman, she fine, got beautiful hair, following the older lady back to the older lady's country, and maybe she had that eye roll thing going on. Well, I'm going back. Oh, yeah. I'm excited too, mother-in-law. find me a nice Moabite man, but no, I go by and marry your son, he go and die. Oh, can I pick him or what? Man, what bad luck. And so, so Naomi asks her, uh, 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 do you want to stay with me? And like Speedy Gonzalez in the cartoons, no! So glad to be gone and got rid of her. So now Naomi is down to one. But Ruth, whose name meant a friend, loyal one, refuses to leave her mother-in-law's side. As Orpah lived out the meaning of her name, the Bible suggests that Ruth did also. Life was rough. And as they got closer and closer to their destination, there was some excitement because they, they, they weren't used to visitors coming to town. So they saw these two, thank you, thank you so much. They, 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 they saw these two, 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 two people coming in the distance, two women. And the people in the town were some company coming. And they looked, because they hadn't seen uh, 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 Naomi in 10 years. So they wasn't sure, because we, we do change in years, you know. I looked at pictures of me uh, 10 years ago. I saw a picture of you 10 years ago, Connie. You were gorgeous then. You are fine now. But <laughs> praise the Lord, you know, hallelujah. Yes, I did say it too. Hallelujah. But we change. We change in the 10 years. So Naomi had that little change thing going on, and they were looking. And then they remembered Naomi. Naomi was known for, for, for being happy. And not only was she happy, but you couldn't be around Naomi but for but a few seconds before you start feeling good about yourself. Don't you like people like that? Don't you like being around people? Just being in their presence just make you want to stand up and do something. You feel good about yourself being like, that's the kind of person I want to be. I, I, I used to think about, you know, because I, I had a lot of time last year thinking about this thing. You know, I have that June 26, 1970 thing going on and, and the little dash. And I was thinking, you know, some December 22nd, 2011. Yes, I thought like that. So the little dash. And I thought, what would I want known about me in that dash? And I would want people to say about me that I was the kind of person that made you feel good about who you were. 
like Jesus. Little kids wanted to go and sit on Jesus' lap. You know, I was in the barber shop one day getting my hair cut because I like having my hair cut. And I was sitting there, and these little kids came with my sick self, and they went and sat on my lap. And I didn't even know these kids. I'm like, I looked at the mom. I'm like, yo, you know, because I ain't what I'm thinking. I ain't asked them to sit there. Don't y'all be... What y'all doing up here, you know? And they said, give me a ride. I'm like, I can't. I'm about to. But they give me a ride. And the mom looked, you know, and I looked. And I started giving them a ride. I'm giddy up, horsey, giddy up, horsey. And I did that because those kids are running around the barbershop. I mean, dude went and was giving somebody a part, and he gave them a Q in their head. Instead of an X or something, you know. They were so glad I'd calmed those kids down. So they let me go next. I didn't even have to pay for my haircut. Now I go looking for kids. You know, anybody else? Free haircut. Praise the Lord. I, I, I would want to be. Boy, you think I'm kidding. I would want to be the kind of person like Naomi was. And when they get there, is that you, Naomi? Because they had had a rough 10 years, too. And they needed their Naomi fix back. Is that you, Naomi? We heard that you had gone away. Where's your, your husband? What about your boys? How they doing? Is that you, Naomi? And who's this? And then she says, don't call me that. Don't call me that. Don't call me Naomi again. Because I went away full and I came back empty. Call me Mara. Have you ever said that to God before? Have you ever said that to anybody before? When life goes from bad to worse, to worse than worse, to worser than that, to oh no, I didn't know it could be that bad. Have you ever just looked life in the face and said, call me Mara? When everybody else in church got the little words on the screen thing happening and they're singing with gusto, and you thinking about, what a friend we have in Jesus, or tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And you thinking about what's going on in your life. How he doesn't seem to be a friend to you. How it doesn't seem to be so sweet to trust in him. You, you have a tendency, I have a tendency to say, call me Mark. When my friend up there, uh, uh, Steve, you were talking about how, how, how you've been doing a lot of this. Brother, that's why I'm bald-headed. Because <laughs> I've been doing it all the time, trying to figure out where the bills and all that stuff is coming from. 
And then people say, hey, we have this project coming up, and we want to do this for the church, and that for the church, and we want to help the young people like you made out of money, like you a money tree. Where is it coming from? Because it ain't coming for you work. You only get for so much. It's not like you're getting more, and you're sitting there, call me Mara. Because the longer you live, the worse it gets seemingly. You pray and you ask God for healing. We went and anointed someone. And they died. Everybody I anointed has died. I was beginning to think it was me. Somebody said, you want it? No, don't, you don't want me to do it. <laughs> I'm hard luck. <laughs> Just don't get me. I mean, that affected me, too. Because I'm wondering, Lord, I'm praying and believing this thing. Last week, last week, three students, I was in Michigan last week. I did a week of prayer at the school where I taught for 10 years, seven years. And three of my former students had a parent to die last week. And they come into me, Pastor Hall. And I knew they were just fledgling in their faith. It was just starting to turn around as they were reaching their late 20s. And then, bam, bam. And I got the sense that the joy of the Lord was starting to fade in their eyes. Call. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I came in full. It was 2008. April. April 3rd, 2008. I went to the doctor. Next thing you know, I'm in the hospital. Fast forward. You got this disease. 15 years, fast forward three years, January last year, you need a heart transplant. I said, no, I don't. That's just what I said to him. Mr. Hall, you need a heart transplant. Uh, no, I don't. I said, I don't need one. He said, uh, showing me pictures. I'm like, dude, it's me you talking about. <laughs> I don't want y'all cutting on me. What's up with that? I said, can't we try some of these other pills? He said, we'll do this for six months. Six months, I was worse. July 28th, they, didn't, they said, you're going to get one. And I said, come on now. I told you that I, didn't, I ended up not needing it. But I didn't go into detail of what happened. I will do that right now, make my point, conclude the sermon, and sit down. Here it is. Gone. They got the knife deal out. And they cut my chest open. How do I know? I got this big purple line right down the center of my chest. And my chest hurts, so I know something happened. They cut me open, and then they got a saw, Pastor. 
And they sawed the bone apart, I'm told. And they popped me open. They cut my heart and my lungs off. My heart and lungs. Say that again. I was on a heart and lung machine. Because the heart and lung machine did the, the, yeah, they did the heart and the lung thing. That's what they did. Whatever they do, that's what it was doing. I didn't hear what you said, but that's, but I know that's, they were doing something. Praise the Lord. And so I'm there. Then they removed my heart. And this is where the trouble was, because where the disease was in my heart, it was in a very difficult to reach place. So I had to sign a paper ahead of time that morning in case I expired. I had to sign a paper saying, you know, we good. I won't, you know, well, I wouldn't do anything, but I had to sign the paper anyway. So I signed it. That really made me feel good going into everything, you know. And they had to go off of pictures because it was uncertain exactly where to begin. And I was already hooked up to the machine, so just in case they touched the wrong spot, I would already be hooked up to a heart machine and I could just stay connected and wait for a new heart to come. They cut out the bad stuff, sewed my heart back up, put it back in, they wired my chest back together. Twisty tie. They got super glue. That's what they told me. Super glue. I guess it's body super glue, not the store kind. Although I'm sure that would work too, you know. Because <laughs> it sticks my fingers together. So. And they glued me. And they said, that's why I don't have any of those things. And then they powered me back on like I was a robot or something. And I'm supposed to just function. I'm sitting there. Come on, David. Come on, David. I'm sitting there. I'm going to sit right here. I'm in the bed. I got junk in my neck, all in my chest. I'm connected to all this stuff. And then all these doctors roll in the day after Christmas. They frown and they keep giving me needles. Everybody got to leave except for Connie. They whispering to themselves. And I hear one of them say, it's bad. And I thought to myself, this does not sound good. <laughs> and it was making me more nervous. And they coming over there, now just stay calm. No! How am I going to stay calm and all y'all rolling in the air with it, sticking me with snow? And finally, they stabilized everything. I go home, have to go back to the hospital for another couple of days, get out of the hospital January 8th. Two days later, Connie, our nephew, was in the Marines, was found dead in his house. The Marines come and knock on my door, boom, 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 two of them. We, the United States Marine Corps, regret to inform you, la da 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 I seen that thing on TV. I never had it happen before. 
I just got out the hospital. I'm weak as I could be. I couldn't even pick up. I, 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 was, I dropped something. I couldn't even get down there and pick it up. I got to wait for somebody. I had no strength. Knock, knock, knock. Your nephew, 21 years old, shot, killed, dead. Deal with that. Come right back again, and they say, Mr. Hall, you're about to have a stroke. you right there, and we cannot get your pressure to come down. There is nothing we can do. February 2nd, February 3rd of this year. And people coming up visiting me. Pastor Hall, how you doing? And I, 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 usually I'm a, a, a fairly jovial person. I'm good for a laugh, a smile. Jesus loves you. I love Jesus, Jesus. I didn't want to see nobody. It was stressing me. Call me Mara. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Have you ever felt? Have you ever been through something? Have you ever had a circumstance? Have you ever had a situation? Are you going through something now? Where the shadows are so black that you can't see your way out of it. That you don't feel like getting up. You don't feel like sitting down. You don't feel like existing. You don't feel like nothing. And you sit there and you say, Lord, just take me. I was there. I said it to him many times. The pain was so great. I couldn't eat. I couldn't use the bathroom. I had all kind of changes going on in my body. I had to relearn my favorite foods. My mindset from being on the machine, I had to teach myself how to be David again. I've never been through nothing like that. And they said, I gotta quit, I gotta quit, I gotta quit. They said, because of the medication now, you're going to have strange thoughts. And I'm usually, you know, I got this Jesus thing going on, so I felt pretty secure. But the medicine mixed with this medicine, mixed with this medicine, mixed with this medicine. And I started having some strange thoughts. I don't think nobody will miss me. I wonder if I took more than two. I was already, uh, I take 17 in the morning and 11 at night. So what if I took 34? Shucks, what if I took the whole bottle? Call me Mara. Because you've been through it so And people want you to smile and be faithful. 
happy to see you, Naomi. No. Mara, baby. Ted Turner understood that. Ted Turner, the founder of CNN, owner of Turner Broadcasts, TNT, TBS. He's a wealthy man and one of the richest atheists in the world. He is openly hostile towards anything Christian. He said Christianity is a religion for losers. And he once said in an interview, the Pope should be the one to step on one of these landmines for all that fake stuff they're teaching. But what people don't realize is how religious he was as a young child. Despite his father's emotional abuse on Ted Turner. And he wanted to be a missionary. But when he was a teenager, his youngest sister contracted a form of lupus and died. And he had prayed and prayed and prayed and God didn't answer him. And after that, he had a permanent call me Mara. It would look, it would seem under these circumstances, come on and finish, David. It would seem under these circumstances that Naomi, that you, that me would be justified and how we felt. We would be right. And we should just let life be. If the story ended there, it would make all the sense in the world. I was 14 years old, 1984. I was walking home, and these gentlemen who were highly inebriated saw me walking down my road with no street light.